Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Co-op Couch, the Arnie's gaming series. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my player two, Matt Johnson. Matt, how are you? And are you ready to talk about some games? I'm doing all right. Been a bit of a crazy, hectic week with everything going on, but I'm sure everybody out there can relate on some level. When it comes to being ready to talk about games, I am more than ready, super excited. We have a good list of things to talk about today, so it's going to be a good one for sure. I got to know, have you been playing anything good lately? I actually just finished up Spider-Man PS4. Oh yeah, how'd that go? It was good. The intro didn't really suck me in, but I'm glad I went back and finished it because I really enjoyed kind of the final third act of the game. I thought it was super fun, and I also have the like Game of the Year edition, so I've got some DLC to play too. Nice. Uh, for me, I guess it's kind of the same old stuff. Still playing a little bit of Outriders with you guys here and there, which we talked about last month. Warzone is the gift that keeps on giving still. And then, I guess I won't spoil it unless you're ready, Austin, but the other thing that's been taking up all my time is our main game of discussion today. Yeah, on today's show, we will be discussing the release of the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Uh, but before we get to that, Matt, should we do some news for the month of May 2021? I think we should. How about you kick us off? Okay, so this one kind of grabbed my attention. Our first big story of the month is the Washington Post uh, recently released an investigation and revealed major issues when it comes to crediting in the gaming industry. So for a lot of employees, especially employees just starting out, uh, crediting is, is really important to kind of build your resume and validate your experience that you have working on major titles. And additionally, for a lot of employees, contract work is kind of the norm. So uh, this article kind of detailed the fact that many people, regardless of their work status, either contract or full-time, often do not receive full credit for working on a game. There are currently no industry standards that pertain to crediting, unlike the film industry, where best practices are negotiated by unions. Okay, interesting. I had no idea about that. That's pretty shitty for people just starting out, like you said, trying to just build up their resume and work in the industry that they want to. Uh, where, like, kind of what was the thing that sparked this being released. Like, I know you said it was a Washington Post article, but was there like one big thing that happened that caused this to be more common knowledge? I don't think there was one big thing. It was more of just through conversations with people currently working in the industry. Uh, and, and the news actually kind of gets worse because companies will often use crediting maliciously uh, and hold the threat of being credited over employees to prevent them from leaving uh, kind of in the middle of a project. Hmm. Uh, the Post specifically called out Rockstar for this practice and noted as an industry leader, they kind of set the standards for other studios. Uh, so Rockstar has stated that they do this to ensure they keep a cohesive team throughout the development process. However, former and current employees have stated that this expectation was never formally communicated to the team. So essentially, if you spend years working on a project, but leave before it's completed, uh, Rockstar will not give you full credit for working on the game. Oh man, that, yeah, I hate that. That really sucks. I feel like you at least got to communicate it, but I understand them wanting to have a cohesive team, but at the same time, these are projects that take over five years of like active development sometimes. So yeah, yeah, that's really a shame. I don't like that at all. Yeah, it's crazy. And to your point, I can fully understand wanting to keep a team together through the development process, but I think you just need to clearly state that expectation and make sure your employees know like, hey, if you leave, you're not going to receive credit, especially since there's not like a standard right now. And the employees interviewed for this article stated they weren't aware that if they left, they wouldn't receive credit. And they were surprised, like, for example, when GTA 5 came out, uh, that they did not find themselves credited in the credits. <sighs> I don't like that. Um, I guess I'm not completely surprised. We hear similar stories of people getting screwed over in a bunch of different entertainment-related industries. But 
obviously still hope that companies with products that we enjoy and consume would be better, but I guess they're not. Yeah, and, and Rockstar did give a statement saying they will credit current and future employees if they leave before completion of a project. So we'll have to see if, if this changes going forward. Um, there's also another issue with the fact that gaming studios will only credit like hiring agencies for third-party contractors, and they won't actually credit uh, individuals. Um, and because agencies are incentivized to propose the lowest cost, uh, crediting is kind of seen as a bonus and not a standard. And employees are also not able to self-advocate because of non-disclosure agreements and the secrecy of surrounding like future projects currently in development. I hope change comes from it. I mean, like you said, it sounds like they're going to start crediting people going forward. So that's good. But still, it's like it sucks that these stories um, have to come out for change to actually happen. And there currently isn't like a union for the game industry, but there is uh, the International Game Developers Association, and they actually have created a developer credit special interest group to, uh, quote, promote best practices for how credits are attributed. This group kind of acts as an intermediary between victims of poor crediting and studios. Um, it collects data on the crediting practices and issues guidelines for studios to follow. So hopefully with like kind of organizations coming like this, more power is being given back to the employees to really fight for proper crediting. All right. Good to hear, I guess. So we'll we'll have to kind of just see what happens going forward. Okay, do you want to move us on to our next story for the news? Yeah, so this one was a big deal. Um, We had Discovery buying Warner Media. And so this affects tons of different industries when it comes to the entertainment realm, when it comes to HBO Max, when it comes to films that could have been in development soon, TV shows, the same thing. And I think it took everybody a little bit to realize, oh, so what does this mean for WB Games and all of their kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call I guess they're studios. So you have places like Rocksteady, known for the Batman Arkham games. You have NetherRealm, known for the Mortal Kombat games. And then you have all the individual WB Games, um, like city-based uh, studios. So... What they said was some of these studios will remain kind of in place. Not too much will change. Some of them, we just have no idea. The future is completely unknown for them. And the reason that's a big deal is because it kind of sounds like if there's a game that isn't in active development, then it could just be canceled because kind of the higher ups completely changed and they may not find that suitable for their business, essentially. So... When it comes to the future of the Arkham series, when it comes to just future Rocksteady IPs and projects, when it comes to the future of Mortal Kombat, I mean, whoever thought that that would be up in the air after going 11 games strong, it's just really unknown right now. And it sounds like we might not have an answer for a while. So whenever I saw that, that kind of jumped out to me because I like a lot of these studios. So kind of made me a little bit worried, to be honest. I imagine it will only impact kind of smaller studios. You have to imagine a major studio like Rocksteady or or NetherRealm Studios is pretty safe just because of their, you know, past the the amount of money they bring in from their games. And you got to imagine that's kind of the section of this gaming kind of package that Discovery would still be interested in. I hope so. Yeah, I kind of lean to your side. I think you're probably right. So just fingers crossed because I don't want these studios going anywhere, even the small ones. You know, I want them to hold on and keep on going and making good stuff. I mean, this this merger and, and joint acquisition, whatever it is, it's crazy. It sounds like AT&T just really, really wanted to get out of the Warner Bros. business. I was also reading speculation that they're hoping to bundle Warner Bros. and Discovery together and make it a more um, appealing package for like a, somebody like Marvel or Apple to go on and fully buy in, in a few years. So I don't think we're seeing the end of the story. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So 
we could be having this exact same conversation not too long from now. So we'll keep on top of this one and see what happens. Okay, well, speaking about big companies getting into gaming, uh, Netflix may be hiring to make some games. Uh, In an IGN article published the other day, IGN has reported that Netflix has been approaching people in the gaming industry to oversee an expansion into video games. Huh. Okay. So do we have any insight into how that would work? I mean, is Netflix trying to make their own brand and acquire studios? Or, I mean, are they just going to distribute projects? I mean, well, like, what will this look like? Is it a new console? Is it a new, like, just hub for games? Like, what are we talking here? Do we know? I think we do kind of have to take this one with a bit of a grain of salt because this is IGN reporting on another article quoting people with, quote, knowledge of the situation. So we don't have anybody like directly going on record saying anything. However, the proposed model or rumored model, if you want to call it that, does appear to be similar to like Apple Arcade or Game Pass, uh, pay a subscription fee to play or stream games from the Netflix service. Okay. Look, I like Netflix. (laughs) So this could be interesting. Uh, Like you said, we don't know too much yet, but this is actually one that I'm going to probably keep an eye out for because I'm just curious more so what it would actually look like. Like we said, like, what kind of games is it going to be like their movie and TV business where it's a little bit of everything or will they kind of have a specific goal? So I'm really curious to see if anything comes from this story. You got to think about the caliber of games, too. Is it going to be stuff that's like on par with the quality of their uh, original series or is it going to be stuff that's kind of lower quality like their original movies, too? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. That actually, yeah, that part of it makes me a little bit nervous because they aren't I mean, they are known for like taking struggling projects or stuff that might not be, you know, super good for everybody and then just like distributing it, uh, not necessarily putting their own money behind it when it comes to creativity. So I wouldn't be surprised if that aspect carries over. So an executive at Netflix did say that uh, they did say that Netflix knows their members like interactive projects and they cited projects like that uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch episode or that uh, that media you versus wild. And then IGN also did go on to mention an earnings call from 2020, where the Netflix CEO specifically stated he was interested in the games industry. So there is some kind of credible uh, sources behind these rumors, and it does seem like Netflix has had their eyes on the gaming industry for a little while now. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what they do. Okay. So I think that's going to do it for the news this week. Um, Again, let us know on Instagram at the Arnie's what news stories were your favorites of the month and what you wish we had included. And let's get on to the main topic of this month's show. The Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Okay, Matt, it's time to board the Normandy once again, this time in 4K Ultra HD and every piece of DLC content included. Why don't you give me kind of your general first impressions of the Legendary Edition? How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling pretty good. I think the best thing I can say is it just feels as good as ever to be back in this world. Mass Effect is maybe my favorite trilogy of anything of all time, like across any media. So to have any excuse to go back to it is certainly one that I will take without hesitation. So I've been having a really fun time. Uh, So far, I've completed Mass Effect 1. And right now in Mass Effect 2, I have the opportunity to... um, finish the game, if you know what I mean, uh, without, I guess, getting into spoilers yet, just keeping things general. And 
I'm just kind of cleaning up some DLC and just some side missions. I'm pretty close to being done, so I'm not too far off from venturing into Mass Effect 3 once again. But yeah, overall, definitely enjoying it. For me, it's worth the price. I know there was some questions of should this be full price, but you know, it is three huge games, so for me it feels worth it. What are you thinking? Where are you at? I'm still super impressed by just the Mass Effect story, uh, the gameplay, everything about it. I still love everything about Mass Effect. I think I am a little bit underwhelmed by the remaster itself. Like you said, I think the price is certainly warranted. It is three games with over 40 pieces of DLC included into it. We'll talk about it more, but I think just in terms of what we've seen from other remasters and remakes, uh, this one kind of did come out feeling a little bit more like we're going to test the waters with the remaster to see if people even still care about this franchise, and then maybe we'll make another Mass Effect game. Uh, so I'm still enjoying it. I'm still having tons of fun with the gameplay. It's just kind of been hard for me to separate like, okay, this is still a little bit, I think a little bit underwhelming and just in terms of a remaster. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally understand that. I get that. Um, would it have been really cool to have kind of a, I don't know, like a ground up approach to uh, the game in terms of the remaster, like maybe just a full on remake even with similar story? I don't know. I'm not sure what I would have preferred, but I definitely agree with you. It's not like people should know going in. I mean, it's not, going to be some crazy mind-blowing thing in terms of graphics and quality of life. Like, it still is a game that's over 10 years old, and it does feel that like it that way when you're playing it sometimes. But oh, for sure. Luckily, I think all the Mass Effect games were kind of ahead of their time when it came out, so it doesn't it doesn't feel bad, if that makes sense. It just, it does feel a bit kind of old school. But yeah, I agree with you. The graphics are certainly not blowing me away. I'm just enjoying being back in that world, but you know would have been cool to get a bit more. I will say, though, if you are somebody who has never played a Mass Effect game before, this is certainly the way to experience the trilogy. I think anybody that has never played this game and who has thought about, like, do I want to go back to a game that's so old? I think this is a great way to go ahead and jump in and really experience it for the first time. Yep, 100%. I mean, no excuse not to experience this now. I feel like if you're someone that hasn't played it before, despite what I just said about it feeling old school, I just still think that the story and the characters and... The choices and their impacts and just how everything flows together within each game and how it carries over into the following game is still just so awesome. Um, everything feels good about it. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't played Mass Effect, this is the perfect opportunity. Before we go any further, I do just want to throw up a quick spoiler warning because I think we're just going to go ahead and talk about Mass Effect as a whole, uh, not really caring about spoilers. So if you care about spoilers for Mass Effect, uh, go ahead and just kind of turn us off here. Uh, check out the franchise and then come on back to hear our thoughts. And uh, with that, Matt, let's get into it. So as we touched on, this is certainly a remaster and definitely not a remake. Uh, Mass Effect 1 does receive the majority of the work with updated graphics and improved HUD, shooting enhancements, and changes to the infamous Mako. Mass Effect 1 is the oldest and most outdated of the trilogy. How did these changes feel for you while you were playing? They felt good. Um, I think there are some things that I wish were changed. I don't know what it is, but... The field of view for all the Mass Effect games has always been a little bit weird, and I'm referring to like how close the camera gets to you whenever you're in combat. You get for used sure. to it, obviously, but in Mass Effect 1, it just feels not as crisp or as smooth as Mass Effect 2 and 3. Like You and I have talked about, whenever you jump into Mass Effect 2 for the first time, it is jarring in a good way, like how much better it feels and plays. So... Part of me wish that as part of the Mass Effect 1 remaster that they would have kind of adapted, if that makes sense, that older game to feel a bit more like Mass Effect 2 and 3. That being said, 
on this playthrough, I enjoyed it more than I ever have. Um, whenever I've replayed the series, I honestly sometimes skip Mass Effect 1 just because I, I always liked it, but I just never felt the urge to replay it, if that makes sense. I always just wanted to get into the thick of it with Mass Effect 2 and 3. But this time, obviously, I had no excuse. And I was pretty blown away, honestly. I mean, like we've already talked about, for an old game, it just feels so ahead of its time. I love the story. I love how the characters first meet up, how they interact. Changes still shock me with like how they can really cause ripple effects across the game. And I definitely did more side quests this time than I ever had in the past. So it was fun to actually land on planets. The Mako is still pretty bad in terms of how it handles, but it's definitely better. So... Yeah, I, I had a blast. Like, what, what were your kind of general impressions of uh, the original game's remake? I'm kind of with you on your, like, kind of thoughts looking back at Mass Effect 1. For me, every time I've gone back to replay the trilogy, I have always started with Mass Effect 1. I've never skipped it, but it has always kind of felt like the chore. It's like, I got to get through this to get through Mass Effect 2. And I do think with all of these changes, it is way more enjoyable. It's way more fun. The fact that in the original Mass Effect 1, you couldn't, like, your class was restricted by what guns you can use. I'm so glad they took that restriction out because I always felt like I could only play as a soldier and I never got to use any of the biotic abilities because there was no way you're going to make it through the original Mass Effect 1 with like just a pistol. So I'm, I'm really glad the shooting enhancements got improved. I was actually really surprised at how sucked in I got to Mass Effect 1 this time. Mm-hmm. I was still kind of going into it as like, I got to get through it. I really want to get to two. Um, but all the like quality of life improvements they made really made it a more uh, palatable experience. To your point, though, once I got to Mass Effect 2, I couldn't help but think, man, what, what could it have been like if they had actually built Mass Effect 1 up from the ground up, made it run just like Mass Effect 2, really improved some of like, the planet exploring, the way the biotic powers even play? I think they really kind of had an opportunity to do something really special with Mass Effect 1, and it kind of seemed like they took the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the easy way out. There's no doubt about that. I, I obviously also wish that we could have got that kind of the ground up. But at the same time, with like behind the scenes stuff, it sounds like they didn't really have much of a choice. From what I remember, it sounds like they were kind of basically just told to do these simple touch-ups and release it. And I think your theory is spot on. I think part of doing this is to kind of gauge Mass Effect's appeal still and its interest and new players jumping in. I mean, they've already announced Mass Effect 4. I guess we can basically call it that, like the continuation of this story. But um, I think this will be a big teller of how that game actually plays out. Um, at the same time, just to be, I guess, a little bit positive still, I, first of all, I agree with you. I think there are things that if they couldn't do a ground up remake, there are still some things they should have done. I mean, yes, I understand you made changes to the Mako, but the side quests are cool the first few times you do it. But then when you're still just landing on planets, these pretty similar landscapes, just driving to different points on the map. It does get old quick. Like, I certainly am putting more time into Mass Effect 2's side quest, if that makes sense. I'm glad you brought this up, because I wanted to talk about specifically the Mass Effect 1 side quest with you. Every side quest has you going to the same building layout and finding the same dead body. You do not find a single living person in any side quest in Mass Effect 1. It's always, hey, I'm not sure if they're alive. And as soon as they say that, you just in your head go, oh, they're dead. They're Mm -hmm. dead for sure. This is more just like, Mass Effect Corpse Retriever. Like, that's all we're doing in the side quest in Mass Effect 1. Yeah, it makes us feel really bad at our job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so 
I did a lot of the side quests, but I didn't spend too much time on it before wrapping the game up just because they still don't feel great in the grand scheme of the game. I'm pretty sure I did every side quest in Mass Effect 1 except for like the collectible stuff. Um, And this was also my quickest playthrough ever of Mass Effect 1. So I'm not sure if that's because like you're able to skip like elevator rides and you can kind of skip through dialogue a little easier this time around. But I'm pretty sure I did everything for that like impacts the story. And my playthrough clocked in at like just around 20 hours, which is certainly my shortest playthrough I've ever had of a Mass Effect game. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I got, I don't think I did them all, but I must have gotten close then because that's around where I was. So hmm, I don't know. Maybe if I went back, I would kind of feel differently. Who knows? I did all the big ones for sure. So you touched on it briefly, but they did also change the way the Mako handles. For me, this was the best experience I've had with the Mako yeah, in Mass Effect. I actually, by the end of the game, I was kind of enjoying driving driving it around. I was having fun with the little jump jets and the boost. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you haven't played Andromeda, but it did really make me appreciate the vehicle in Andromeda because the vehicle in Andromeda is so much fun to drive. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's not great, but it's still far better than it used to be, which it, it, it was a pain in the in the original. So yeah, I definitely appreciated that. So I thought we could bring up maybe just some general quality of life improvements. We've already mentioned some of them, but what did we think of like the better load times, the better frame rate, how the game just runs smoother? Character models is also a big one. They did upgrade those for sure. And considering how commonplace remakes and remasters are now, is this worth the price, particularly for new players, do you think? For new players, 100%, it's worth the price. Um, You get all three games. All three games are, you know, for your first time through, they're probably 40 to 50 hours, plus all the DLC for every game. Um, So yeah, I think for new players, it's definitely worth the price. As for the quality of life improvements, I think uh, they have the biggest impact on Mass Effect 1. Um, it was really cool to see the attention to detail that they paid to these characters. I think the characters in Mass Effect 1 look fantastic. Um, and it, it was really fun to go back and see them in their origins looking really great. Everything runs faster. The load time improvement is incredible, especially if you're playing on a PS5 or a Series X. Um, it really makes the whole experience more... Uh, I know Bioware would use the word cinematic, but it really does kind of make that experience more cinematic and more enjoyable to get through the story. Yeah, I mean, it is significant. It just things just happen quicker, which is appreciated because that's one of the general complaints about the original Mass Effect is that it was kind of a slow, clunky experience, especially compared to the other games. So and they would stick you in an elevator to load the game. That's right. Yeah, that was the big one. And sometimes you got some decent conversations out of it between characters, but it was pretty egregious how long you were stuck in there. And now if you want, they left it in so you still can enjoy the conversations. And then once you get tired of it, you can just skip it. So pretty easy. And I got to say I did because I was scared I wasn't going to trigger a side quest if I skipped it. So I was still nervous. I didn't want to skip any elevator rides. So I still spent a good amount of time in an elevator, even in Legendary Edition. Nice, nice. Can't pass it up. The one thing that I love the most about Mass Effect 1, you brought up how they changed the guns and the options you had. One thing I... I can't imagine playing Mass Effect differently, but I always play as a Vanguard, so it's kind of the mixture of the soldier and the biotic. And the one thing I really missed once I got to Mass Effect 2 was I could kind of build up my character to have so many different powers. Whereas when I got to 2, I was like, I had warp, overload, barrier, like all these things. And then it's like, oh, I get here and I have throw and charge. And it's like, oh. That's all I really have. And then once you progress in the game, you can get 
some similar powers, but then you could only get one advanced power. So I did kind of like that if you allocated your points correctly in the original game, you really could get a lot of options when it came to powers and weapons and stuff. Well, and speaking of allocating points, they did change for one, and maybe it's all the way through actually, but they did change for uh, leveling up. You can do classic mode or you can do legendary, which kind of uh, makes it easier to get to full level on a single playthrough. So I'm curious, what did you pick and did you notice any uh, changes into like how quickly you leveled up? Hmm. I I know I picked legendary because whenever I read it, it was like, you can get level 60 or level 30. And I was like, I'll just try the Legendary and see why they put this mode in in the first place. And because I hadn't played Mass Effect 1 in such a long time, I guess I didn't really notice if I was leveling up fast. But I will say in Mass Effect 2, when I started that out, it felt much slower. So maybe in a weird way, I did kind of enjoy that aspect of the original. And I didn't get full level, but I did get somewhere in the 20s, like maybe mid-20s. So I definitely got close. I chose Legendary as well. And I was actually... uh really surprised at how quickly I was able to fill up my charm box like early on for all those dialogue options. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to the Citadel, uh, the only thing I upgraded was charm because I just knew how important dialogue is in these games. And I had so many like Paragon options that I just think if you play through it on the classic mode, you really have to do a a ton of stuff before you can really have those options early on in the game. Yeah, that's true. So maybe that is a benefit to playing it the way they meant. Because I do remember first playing through like 10 years ago, basically. Um, I was I kind of liked that I would be in these really tricky situations and I had grayed out options. It was like, oh, okay. So I guess I need to upgrade the charm or intimidate or whatever. And then it's like, I really want to resolve this peacefully if I can, but I can't because I don't have the choice. So yeah, and then same here. Like once I got to the Citadel, I could already pick like the easier choices. So yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up. Maybe a favor of the original version. Or if you're somebody that doesn't care, then... They have a mode just for you with the legendary version. So something else I wanted to ask you too is, uh, was it jarring that in one, they opened up every class can use every gun. And then in two, I know later on you can unlock additional guns, but in two, you still have class specific guns. So like I played as the Vanguard as well. And in two, you only have a pistol and a submachine gun available to you to start the game. So do you, do you think they should have just left that kind of opened every, every class can use every gun, just left that open for the entire trilogy? Probably, because I don't really think there's a good in-game reason of why you can't. Uh, Yeah, maybe your class isn't as good with a sniper or something, but I still don't think there's really much of a reason to do that. And I agree with you. It was it playing as a vanguard at the beginning of Mass Effect Two was kind of difficult because it's like you have a heavy pistol, a pistol, and then yeah, maybe a submachine gun depending on which guns you're picking. So it was like, this is just weird having this like weird SMG pistol and then just a normal pistol. That's all I can use. And then luckily as the game goes on, like at the point I'm at now, I have a shotgun, a submachine gun, a, co- a collector particle beam, um, <laughs> like two different pistols, assault rifle. So it gets better. But yeah, it was, like you said, it was jarring coming off of the original game where that wasn't an issue at all. And in every cutscene, your character is using an assault rifle, even if you're not yeah. a soldier class. So it's like, why not just actually give me an assault rifle? <laughs> I know. Ugh, damn. Weird. So you touched on it briefly, but I think for both of us, it's been a few years since we fully uh, returned to the trilogy. I'm just curious on this playthrough, uh, what was it like kind of coming back to it? Was there anything you had noticed or forgotten since your last playthrough? Yeah, I mean, like we said at the top, it, just, it still just feels really good it still makes you feel like when you originally played it which is really high praise for something like this which is getting kind of old 
So I had a great time. In terms of what I noticed, we kind of already talked a lot about it when it came to how the weapons, classes, points, all that stuff was structured. There were some story-related things and character-related things that I just, I guess I forgot about, or maybe I never experienced at all, like, especially in Mass Effect 2, so we'll get to that, but also themes and stuff like that when it came to the racism towards humans and how humans like Ashley feel towards aliens, and then over the course of the game, it's like these characters actually grow, and the way they kind of pair that with humans still being so new to the galactic world, essentially, to the Citadel, like only, I think, 20 years, basically, was really interesting and something that I had noticed before, but I did not remember it being so prevalent and so important to the actual story. So I would say that's probably the big thing so far. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was going to be my point. Uh, Navigator Presley and Ashley are bigots in Mass Effect 1. They Mm -hmm. are hard characters to like. And I remember always looking back fondly on Ashley for sure. Um, And this playthrough, I really noticed like, man, she is not an enjoyable person. Even when you can unlock like the Paragon uh, dialogue options to resolve some conflicts with her, she really doesn't waver on her beliefs until like the very, very end game. And then I did think it was really funny in Mass Effect 2 in the uh, Normandy DLC, when you go back and like collect all the dog tags, if you find Presley's uh, data pad, they retconned his beliefs and were and he's eyes like a supposedly wrote a journal saying, "I cannot believe looking back on on how mean I was to the aliens, and now I'm now I'm I'm come around and they're all my best friends." <laughs> yeah, which is cool, I guess. I mean, obviously you you would want these characters to grow, but. Like I said, I mean, it's kind of cool having characters like that in Mass Effect, not because that's a good belief to have, obviously, but because oh, for sure. it does yeah. play with the whole alien aspect and how they feel towards each other. So that was interesting, and I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it, Ashley is a weird character just in terms of, yeah, like you said, she's just hard to like. And I do think, what do you think about her role in Mass Effect 2? Because I, like I said, I haven't gotten to Mass Effect 3, and I know she has a very big role in that game. But two, she's only in the Horizon sequence. So it does feel like maybe it was a missed opportunity to kind of grow that character more. But at the same time, I was fine not having her on my crew, obviously. Yeah, um, just to be clear, I, I still do really enjoy all the relations with uh all the various alien races. I think all of that is super interesting. And just the amount of world building they do in one alone for it being like the first game, the fact that they already had all of this like established and all of like the political histories and their prior wars, like all that is so cool. And it's so cool to see it again, like now just with time passage and and being more aware of that sort of stuff. Um, Ashley in Mass Effect 2, yeah, they they did kind of miss the boat, the fact that she's only in that one sequence. I think the biggest missed opportunity in Mass Effect 2 is just the fact that Liara is is kind of sidelined until the Shadow Broker DLC. It's almost the exact same thing, yeah. You really have to play the Shadow Broker DLC if you really want to get any time with that character at all. So that's a good point. Yeah, They did take some of the original characters. Same with Rex. Rex is only on Tachanka the whole time. So yeah, I wonder if people complained about that because now that I'm thinking about it, in Mass Effect 3, a lot of your crew is really people introduced in the first game, with a couple exceptions. I don't think anybody that was introduced in 2 is on your crew. So I wonder if that was a complaint, despite me loving the crew in Mass Effect 2. I have to wonder if that was their original goal to kind of make you feel like the first game again. I don't know if that's a bad complaint, though, just just because the characters in 1 are so memorable and so good. Um, I got to know, though, what are your thoughts on Cade and Elenko? Because for me, I had never bothered to really even talk with that character in one until this playthrough. And so I was surprised to actually learn how much of his history I missed just with being a biotic, being in that kind of test program, 
and led by the Turian general. Um, all of that was pretty fascinating to me. Uh, I still killed him, though, when I had to make the choice. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, I agree. I hadn't um, really ever spent much time talking with that character when I was younger. And talking with him, he was really fascinating. And I really did enjoy getting to learn his history. And he's also, if I feel like if you're a va- basically, if you're not an engineer class, he really is super useful in combat, I found, especially in the side missions, because he's the only character, I think, that has the neural shock ability, which basically, if there's an organic enemy... You just use that power, and they basically go down immediately. So, Oh, see, I never bring him with them in combat, because I feel like I have to bring uh, Garrison Liara just to have my decryption and electronic skill high enough to like hack stuff. Yeah, once I got to the side missions, I was like, I'll just try out some of the characters I never did. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I really like Caden, and I don't know what it is. I still get to that end, and sure, maybe it's me, but I always have kind of leaned towards blaming the game. I just think they give way more Ashley content, not just when you're talking with her, but in between missions. She's very outspoken. It's part of her character. So you just get a lot more of her. Um, so I don't know. I just, anytime I get to that decision, and this time especially, I really thought about it. I was like, I want to kill Ashley because I don't like her as a person, but obviously I want to try and have a normal experience. So I'm not really thinking about it in those terms. And it feels like for the purpose of the mission, he is the one that should die based on what yeah. they're doing. It's like he can blow up a bomb without me going back to save him. So I guess it makes sense. So I don't know. I really wanted to save him. And part of me wanted to as well, just so I could have a different experience. But I think the game just puts more into Ashley's character arc that she's a bit more interesting. I also had kind of forgotten how much like in Mass Effect 2 and 3, Garrus is such a great character. But in Mass Effect 1, he's kind of a bad cop. Yeah, he is. Um, and to really kind of bond with him, it's almost like you have to use renegade options in Mass Effect 1, because, like, all the other options are telling him he's wrong, basically. Uh, Yeah, but I kind of like that, though, because by the end of the game, he comes around and, like, thanks you. So, yeah, I I like his growth, and I think think he shows the most growth in one of any of your crewmates. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, On the same token, I don't think he becomes a great character until the sequels, but it is still cool seeing everybody's origin, Tally, Liara, Rex, all these fun characters. So, I mean, the characters in Mass Effect are probably, I feel like, the most well-regarded thing, and that's still the case. But what about in 2? I mean, how do you feel about that? We talked about how they brought people back. I mean, are there any standouts for you? Based on, like we said already, the fact that 3 kind of removes a lot of them and kind of relegates them to side quests, do you think that the characters in 2 miss the mark? I'm going to answer your question, but I got to ask you one more thing about 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm I'm going to assume you've done kind of the mini loyalty missions for both uh, Garrus and Rex, getting the family armor and, yep. and helping Garrus track that Solarian scientist. Uh, I got to know, though, I had never done this before, but did you know Tally has like a secret uh, loyalty mission almost? Maybe if you if you tell me what it is, maybe I'll know if I did it, but I can't remember. It's from a random like uh, mission where you get some geth data and she just kind of asks you if you go talk to her, if she can have it and you have the option to give it to her or not. It's really easy to miss if you don't ca- go talk to her right after the side mission. But if you do, when you first run into her in Mass Effect 2, in order to prove that you're like not a clone or something, you can say, hey, Tally, remember that data I gave you? And you have like a better conversation with her when you first run into her in the opening of two. Weird. Yeah, I never did that. Um, and I, I know I talked to the characters enough between missions where like I stopped getting new conversations. So I must have just missed it. Yeah. I was going to say, just based on your description, do you think the Geth data is uh, 
that ties into her Mass Effect 2 loyalty mission. That's the data she's sending back to her father. I think that's exactly what it is, because you also learn about like her pilgrimage and all that and how uh, she hints at it, too. She says, I need something to bring back that is like a standout and I would really like to bring back Geth data. And so I think that's kind of supposed to be your hint to be like, oh, hey, uh, I found this Geth data. Maybe I should go give it to Tally. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, jumping back to Mass Effect 2 then, we have a much bigger crew, a much bigger choice of characters to bring on missions and all that good stuff. So what do you think? Are there any highlights here, positive or negative? There's one character I need more of, and it's Kasumi. I know she's a DLC character. I just hate that you can't interact with her more after her opening loyalty mission, essentially. Like whenever you go into her room, you don't get to talk to her. She just comments on some stuff in there. So that was kind of disappointing. Same thing with... um. With Zaid, I, I think both of those characters are pretty interesting, but you don't get to know them like you do the other ones. Obviously, it's because they're DLC characters, but I think both of those are missed opportunities, especially if you had the option to get them at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's a great point because of uh, the whole DLC thing. I never, whenever I first played the game, for whatever, I had the DLC code, but I guess I just maybe forgot to install it or something. So Zaid and Sumi always came later for me, but. Yeah, this time having them since the beginning almost feels like a disservice because then it's even weirder when you can't really talk to them (laughs) for the entire rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, all the original characters are still awesome. Still highlights for sure. Tally, Garrus, all that. They just get way better. But I think you know my answer. I think my favorite new character in Mass Effect 2 is Thane. Thane? Really? I thought you were going to say Jack. I do like Jack. Yeah. Jack was the character I always romanced in um, Mass Effect 2. I don't really know why. <laughs> this time through, I think she's glad. <laughs> Must be I'm those tattoos. <laughs> Mass Effect 3, when she grows the hair out, even better. But um, <laughs> this this time I haven't committed to somebody yet. I've literally flirted with everybody. So <laughs> I'm the same. I've got Jack, Tally, and Miranda all lined up. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the point now where Tally... Um, I told her I liked her too, but then she was like, oh, that's great. You want to go tell Miranda and make that clear to her? And I was like, ah, Miranda's so hot though. <laughs> so I don't know. I haven't made a choice yet. But uh, yeah, Thane was the standout for me. I've always liked that character. I like these kind of weird, silent religious types that are, happen to also be assassins. And talking with him, I feel like I must never have like gone through all of his conversations on my initial playthrough. So just talking with everybody, finding out He's their backstories. He's oh, so yeah. tragic. Yeah. And his loyalty mission is a highlight for sure. So Yeah. Um, for me, I think kind of same boat as you. I found have found Samara just so fascinating mm-hmm. on this playthrough. Um, I think same for you with Thane. I don't think I've ever gotten through all of her dialogue options, but just learning more about the Justicar code. Um, and just how she has had such a tragic history with her daughters and how she tried to walk away from the code but then couldn't because of her daughters. I just, everything about her has been really interesting to me. Um, and then Grunt, man, I had forgotten all about Grunt, but going to Tachanka with him, it was really, really fun this time around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many highlights throughout these games. Mass Effect 2 certainly has a lot of them. The character moments, the fact that they have so many characters, but they each get these really great emotional moments is Really cool. And seeing stuff in just your normal conversations pay off in like later missions or just in later conversations is really interesting. And I've always loved it. I got I have a question for you, though. Do you think do you think the Mass Effect franchise as a whole has a bit of a pacing issue? Because essentially what you have to do is you have to do a mission and then you got to make the rounds, you know, on your ship. You got to go do a mission, talk to everybody, do a mission, talk to everybody. 
And while I love all these characters and it's so fun to talk to them and learn all their backstories again, it does start to drag a little bit when it's like, all right, did a mission, got to make the rounds again. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I don't know how you get around it, but I was kind of noticing some pacing things just when you try to really get to know every crew member on your ship whenever I was playing through this time. Yeah, it does feel like you're staying on the ship too long in the game because if you want to have the romance options or just feel like you're actually getting to know these characters, you really do have to talk to them. And in Mass Effect 2, like we said, there's so many characters that, yeah, it can be a lot of time spent on the ship. There are highlights to that, though, because like we said in Mass Effect 1, Navigator, Presley, and Joker, actually, which I didn't remember, they don't have additional conversations. Don't forget about Engineer Adams. Oh, that's right. That's right. So it is cool to stop by like the cockpit and talk to Joker, and he'll just comment like on the most recent mission, and then you get to see his and Edie's relationship actually kind of become a bit more platonic, and then talking to her. It's so much more funny than I remember, too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Legion, also a standout. You know, whenever we're in Mass Effect 1, I love that the Geth is just the worst of the worst, basically. And then in Mass Effect 2, they were like, well, we'll just make one of them your crewmate. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. And I also did the thing that you talked about in a previous episode, which I'd never done before, which is I took uh, Legion on the Tally loyalty mission and then vice versa. I took Tally on Legion's loyalty mission. And there was way more interesting conversations for sure. So yeah. that was a good call. I'm worried for you, though, now because... I think you have a countdown once you get Legion, though, of how many missions you can do before the suicide mission. So that was, yeah, you brought that up. And for me, that hasn't been an issue yet. Um, I've just been cleaning up all the side quests. So there was a point after the Legion thing where like a couple missions later, the collector attack happened. And I was like, oh, this must be what Austin's talking about. I haven't finished what I wanted to do yet. But since then, once the crew got taken, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like the pacing thing you talked about. I feel like I should go on the suicide mission now to rescue them. But- I haven't, and it hasn't mattered yet. So I think some people are going to die for you, though. I think oh, once really? that collector, yeah, because I think once the collector attack happens, I think that's when the countdown starts. I think you have like a certain amount of missions you can do before people start dying on your crew. <laughs> oh, because I think, like you're saying, I don't think they want it to be like, "Hey, your your crew just got attacked. Don't go wandering around the galaxy." Yeah, I I didn't realize that's what you meant by countdown. I thought you meant like it would eventually force me into the suicide mission. But yeah, I'm definitely going to have people die then on this playthrough because I've done a lot of missions. We'll have to see. We'll have to check back in next month. I guess we'll see. So with Mass Effect 2, we've talked a lot about each of the games. Um, Mass Effect 2, I think, of them all is considered to be one of the best games of all time, not just within this franchise. And the series as a whole is obviously super well regarded. So since we had the excuse to go back to the game, I just wanted to know specifically, do these games hold up? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but are, are they still like top tier, if that makes sense? Is Mass Effect 2 still one of the greatest games ever? Or to you now, is it, is it kind of just a really solid game? Mass Effect 2 is top tier in terms of story moments, voice acting, agency in the story, player choice. Uh, however, it is clunky in the actual gameplay and the shooting mechanics, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. It is also one of those weird things which happens with a lot of franchises, but I guess going back to your earlier point of something that I maybe forgot about, I still love Mass Effect 2. It's certainly still one of my favorite games of all time, but um, I forgot that it, in a weird way, it's not a standalone game, obviously, but it doesn't feel as urgent in the grand scheme of things. Like after Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 1, honestly, is just such brilliant setup. The fact that it takes an entire game to take down one Reaper and then cut to Mass Effect 3 where it's like 
legions of them are coming and like you're still kind of conquering it as like just perfect kind of setup. Mass Effect 2 with the whole collector thing and it's like, oh, they're partners with the Reapers. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. But then as the game goes on, it's never any progression with like the main story for Mass Effect 1. It's just like, we got to go stop the ship in the Omega 4 relay. It's like, okay. So that was something I forgot about because like by the time you beat it, it doesn't really feel like you've advanced too much from the original. It's also weird too that you essentially have to convince everybody again that the Reapers are still a threat. Like, I yeah. think a two-year jump was really smart, but at the same time, it does make Mass Effect 2 in the in the scheme of the trilogy, it does kind of make it feel like a side story. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's really annoying when you get back and it's like, oh, yeah, the council just said it's not a thing. It's like, well, they were there in Mass Effect 1, so yeah. <laughs> how are they saying that? So, yeah, there are some weird things they do to kind of help you move along with the story, I guess. Uh, the only thing that really feels like you're properly setting up for Mass Effect 3 post the first game is the Arrival DLC. Did you get to that yet? I'm saving it for the end uh, yeah. because I had remembered like how it really sets up 3, so I, I kind of want to do... I'm doing Lair the Shadow Broker last and then Arrival. I, th I think it's what I'm going to do. I will yeah. say, though, I had never played Overlord. I don't know if you've done that yet. Mm -hmm. This is my first time playing through Overlord, so it was fun to get a new story that I've never seen before in this trilogy. I really like Overlord a lot. Really sad, really tragic. Um, I just love having excuses to, the, to do the Renegade stuff. Like, whenever I feel justified in yelling at somebody or punching somebody, it feels good. And Overlord certainly yeah. provides options for that. Speaking of Renegade, I, and two, because you have the little, like, trigger prompts, you know? Yep. I um, had always, just by reflex, even if I wasn't meaning to, I would just hit them as soon as they pop up, just for, like, you're so used to quick time events in games. And this time, I really tried to wait and, and see what would happen if I didn't hit some of those. And it was kind of cool to see, like, if you don't tap the Renegade one immediately, you sometimes also get a Paragon trigger. Um, so I saw some events I hadn't seen before, too, playing that way. Yeah, it's a good thing to bring up just in kind of the playthrough section of this conversation, because I feel like whenever I will actually I know for a fact when I first played the game, I was much younger. Um, I didn't really have too much experience with games like this when it came to choice. So I just always picked the Paragon option. And people have talked about it in the past. Is it a little kind of dumb that always it's literally just the top right is paragon and the bottom right is renegade yeah like it might be interesting actually to make it random so it's you're not always 100 sure and it makes you feel more real perhaps but um as i've gotten older you know i've talked about about this before and on future playthroughs it's not significant but i would say by the end of the game it's more my paragon is mostly filled but i still probably have like maybe 15, 20% of the Renegade filled, so way more than I ever did. And it's just because, like, as the series goes on, people give you shit more, and it just feels like a more natural thing, like, to not always be a goody-two-shoes. And I love the inclusion of the triggers, like you said, kind of the impulse decisions. And I've probably honestly went more Renegade with those than not. Like, I probably still did the Paragon ones when they popped up, but whenever there was an option, like, I remember on the Thane loyalty mission, it's like this guy is just refusing to give information about this guy's son and they know each other. So whenever that pops up, I hit it and then Shepard just kicks him over, puts his foot on his neck and is like, you're going to tell me where the kid is. And it's like, oh, that was cool. I like that I did that. Yeah, see, I waited in that one. I was holding out and I I'd never made it. Same with you. I did a renegade like immediately in that mission. But then I waited this time around. I waited until Thane specifically says, hey, we're running out of time. And then another Renegade pops up, and I did it then. And it, it felt more like a natural story, because then that's when my Shepard, who has been Paragon for the majority of the game, that's when he was like, okay, Thane needs me to like kind of really step this up a notch. And that's when I did all the Renegade stuff. So 
it was kind of cool to see that you have like that kind of option in that mission too. Also in the same one, uh, whenever I'm interrogating the prisoner, uh, Thane was good cop, I was bad cop. And both Renegade options, I hit the guy to kind of put pressure on to the point where I think I did it twice. And now the guy's like bleeding and stuff where Thane pulled me aside and he was like, go easy on him. We don't want to oh, lose Oh, that's it. so funny. Yeah. So then we go back and then I started playing a bit more Paragon and like trying to force the information out and totally got it. So I, I think um, as like I said, as I've gotten older, I do like having more of a mix. It just feels more natural. And I think the stories in Mass Effect 2 with people still like the Reapers aren't real and people giving you shit for being with Cerberus, which really isn't your choice, is uh, I like having a more kind of renegade character. It just feels a bit more natural, I feel like. Yeah, I think for one, I think you really do have to pick a path. I think you really have to go in one. I think you really either have to go all Paragon or all Renegade because those points carry over into two. Um, And just for like the opening of the game, I think you need some of those Paragon or Renegade points. And I think as you get into two, I think then that's when kind of you can really start being middle of the road and, and really thinking about like what makes sense for the situation. For sure. For sure. So I like that you brought up the DLC and we talked about that a little bit. Was that, how'd that work for you? Because for me, I liked that in all three games, I haven't gone to three yet, but I like that now we have the option to just play these all super seamlessly. Like we can tackle these missions whenever we want. It's not like whenever I first played Mass Effect 3 where I beat the game and then months later, these like other stories came out that are canonically before the end, obviously. So it always felt a little bit weird. I like that I can do Overlord. I can do Bring Down the Sky in the first game. I like that I can do it whenever I want. It just feels a bit more natural. So how how that aspect work for you? For me, it was just cool to see some things I hadn't played before. Um, like you said, though, it is really cool to log into one, log into two, and, and all that stuff is right there. Like, it just makes the game feel so much bigger. Um, I had never done Bring Down the Sky before in one, so that was cool to yeah, that was a good land one. on what I thought. I didn't realize that was DLC. So when I landed on the asteroid, I was like, oh, hey, this is cool. This this side mission feels different. And then I realized it was DLC. Uh, like I touched on Overlord, it was cool to have that experience. Um, I'm super pumped to play Lair of the Shadow Broker because uh, I romanced Liara and won this time. So it'll be fun to have that mission with her. So yeah, I mean, I think the DLC just makes an already expansive game just feel all that more massive. 100%. 100%. So we kind of touched on this when I brought up the pacing and I just wanted to get your take on this. So I think this is really the only series. I know you're a completionist, but for me, this is really the only series where I feel like I just cannot miss a side mission. Uh, because you never know like what's going to come back or what's going to impact the future of the story. Uh, on the one hand, it's super impressive that Bioware really makes everything feel important to the story. But on the other hand, uh, it can really make Mass Effect 1 especially uh, a slog to get through. So I'm just curious if you think there's a better way to balance this kind of immersion, or do you like the feeling of needing to find and do everything? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, at this point in Mass Effect 2, I am at the point where I do want to just kind of finish the game, but I'm just having a really good time doing all the side quests. So it probably just is more relevant to your whole pacing question of how that actually plays into it. And if if they had removed some of them, maybe it would have in the grand scheme of things felt a bit more natural to do all the side quests and then finish the story when it felt like it takes forever. But that being said, I still enjoy them all and they're still really fun. So I'm I'm glad to the level that Bioware put them in. But yeah, I mean, admittedly, there are moments where it's like, okay, yeah, that one was fun, but it wasn't, it didn't add too much. So I'd like to just finish. But then it's like, I'm with you where I want to do everything because I love the world so much. I want to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. See, for me in, in, uh, in two, they introduced, uh, human Kelly and she's supposed to be like basically your uh, personal assistant essentially on the ship. And she tells you like, Hey, Garrus wants to speak to you, but she only does that for the loyalty missions. So I just wonder if there's a way maybe to use that character to like just let you know like hey somebody told us something to say 
or like, hey, you don't really need to talk to this person anymore. Like, I feel like that could have helped with some of those issues, too. Yeah, that's a decent point. Um, I wish, yeah, they could have done a lot more with that character. Instead, she's really just kind of extremely flirty. And I don't really know why they made that choice. Obviously, you can romance her if you want, but... Yeah, so feed your fish. That's true. That actually would be helpful because mine keep dying. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I went on a date with her this time and now she's feeding my fish for me. So my fish are alive through all of two. So you brought up the romance options and you mentioned that you romance Liara this time. And I was really curious because I kind of played the game differently too. So when it came to the romance specifically, like how did how had you played it in the past? And then what made you want to do it differently this time? Yeah, I've done every time I go into Mass Effect 1, I think like I'm going to do it differently this time around. And then I pretty much always end up uh, romancing Liara. I did this time around too. This time I really got to know Tally better uh, in one, like doing her, her secret loyalty mission and that sort of stuff. Uh, and so it's kind of weird because I felt like she became like a really good friend in one. And now in two, I have the options for like Jack, Tally, and Miranda. So I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've done Jack in the past. So yeah, but it also has been cool to uh, see that relationship with Tally carry over into two, especially because she's really the only character that uh, is in yeah. all three games on your ship. So uh, for me, I've kind of always played it in the past. I've done Liara, Jack, Liara. And I, I think I might do the same thing this time around, but I really don't know what I'm going to do. What about you? Yeah, in the past, it was always weird because I've played through the series, I don't know, maybe four times total since it, including this time, maybe five. I don't know. I think four. But at least two of those times, I skipped Mass Effect 1. So I was kind of beholden to the choices I had made like years ago, if that makes sense, in the first game. Like I would like replay it five years later and like not want to play Mass Effect 1. So then I would start Mass Effect 2 and. Ashley was the first person I ever romanced because I just like wasn't paying attention to anything she said, which I probably <laughs> should have. But um, so then I like kind of just had to play Mass Effect 2. When, and when you get to Horizon, she just it, it's a bit more personal because of the whole relationship. But this time I was like, obviously, I'm playing through from the beginning. So I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything different unless I actually feel like I want to, if that makes sense. Like, I'm just going to play the game. I'm going to try and put out of my mind decisions I made in the past. And if I do something different, cool. If I don't, that's fine. But I was in the same boat. So yeah, this was the first time I ever romanced Liara. And I think it felt like the most natural choice to make. So I, I had no issues doing that. I never even entertained the idea of anybody else, unlike in Mass Effect 2. But in the first one, that just felt like the right choice. It's another kind of weird thing. I mean, do you think it was a mistake to really only leave her for the Shadow Broker DLC? Because it's almost like, I mean, sure, I'd like to continue that, but I feel like I don't have the choice. I mean, she's not around. So now I'm at a point, like I said, where I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you done the Lair of the Shadow Broker DLC yet in your playthrough? No, not Because it's yet. really cool to do that DLC, having romance Liara in the past, because you, you do get some really cool character moments that it seems like they specifically worked into people who did romance Liara in Mass Effect 1. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's something I'm going to pay attention for whenever I do do it. Kind of along the same lines. I know we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here, but we just talked about like how we did the whole romance thing different. I mean, we have so many choices throughout this series, obviously. That's kind of the name of the game. But um, there's kind of a few like huge ones, like ones that really change things. Like with Rex and he can potentially die in the first game picking to kill either Ashley or Caden, all that stuff. And of course, Mass Effect 2 has equally big choices. Was there anything that you found yourself doing differently when it came to those kind of bigger things? Yeah, um, I had never had enough Paragon to actually get Saren to not fight you at the end. So that was cool. 
um, seeing him kind of break away and persuading him to break away from the Reaper's control. I usually kill the council, uh, but this playthrough, I saved them because I actually, I don't know what it is. In my, in my past playthroughs, and one especially, I've always been like, I hate the council. They don't like help me out at all on this mission. This playthrough, I was kind of seeing their point of view on things, and they didn't bother me as much. So I actually saved them this time around. So it was pretty cool to, and to start up too and go to the Citadel and already have that relationship with the existing council because I've never I've never had that before. Yeah, for sure. Um, I haven't really made any majorly different decisions yet. So I'm waiting to see once I get towards the end of the game, and then particularly in Mass Effect Three, which obviously also has huge choices. I'm wondering if just natural I'll do something different, but. So far, it's feeling a bit familiar, which isn't a bad thing, obviously, but I haven't really had any of those moments, unfortunately. So I know neither one of us have uh, gotten to three yet, but I'm just curious because for me, this may be the most excited I've ever been to get to three because I just, I can't really remember a lot of things about three and Mass Effect one and two are so familiar to me. Obviously, I know the ending is controversial, but I'm just curious, are you in the same boat as me? I cannot wait to get like to the war effort and that sort of stuff in three. I'm like super excited for it this time around. Yeah. And the cool thing is now because they patched the ending uh, like a couple months after it came out, they added a lot of context to it, which made it infinitely better. But it was still kind of tainted because we had already seen the original. So it's going to be nice this time where the ending will just play out how they eventually made it. So it's going to feel better regardless. I'm looking forward to that. I, I love Mass Effect 3. I always have. When I first played yeah, it, and I got that original so ending. Yeah. When I got the original ending, I was a little bit like, Oh, that's that's what it led to. But I love the like new ending. You love the journey. Yeah, you love the journey. But there are just so many amazing moments throughout. I mean, my favorite probably throughout the series is still because they just they threw it on you out of nowhere. I never expected in the original playthrough, the suicide mission, how that kind of completely changes the way the game works in Mass Effect 2, where it's like, all right, we got to pick certain people for certain roles. And if you pick the wrong people, they will die. And it's like, yeah, oh interesting and how that plays out in mass effect 3 i think mass effect 3 though honestly maybe more consistently has better moments like i'm really looking forward to the morden stuff on tachanka in mass effect 3 uh, which is morden super too emotional. man i had i had just forgotten how great of a character morden is yep. uh, i've never had him sing for me before me neither so yeah. that was cool to get that again <laughs> yeah um and there's two DLCs in Mass Effect 3 that I think are just top tier DLCs in, in gaming in general. One of them is the Leviathan DLC, which I don't want to spoil it in case people don't remember. Um, I know we're talking about the series in general, but since you don't remember a lot, I don't want to ruin that. But all I'll say is that's the one that kind of goes into perhaps the origin of the Reapers, which was pretty fascinating. Yeah, that one's great. And then the other one, obviously, is still the party DLC the one that brought every character back from both games. You even got to have like Rex on your party again, which was like, this is crazy. And it had such a cheesy like 80s action movie story where there's a clone of Shepard. Like, what's he going to do? But then they were basically like, who gives a shit about the story? The, the reason you're here is because you can have one last hurrah before going off on this crazy mission. You get drunk with all your friends. And I just that DLC is just top tier i love i can't wait to get back to that too i think the only way to play mass effect 3 is you got to do everything even conclude the game and then you just you leave the franchise on the note of the citadel dlc i think that's just the only way to do it i think you got to end with that dlc and call it good there 
Well, that's where they ended with it, too. I mean, that was the last thing they put out. And that moment of like the person that you romance coming up to you and like standing with you as you watch all of your squad mates go board the Normandy. And just something about Shepard saying like all these people I've met and all the times I've had, they've been the best of the best. And it's just like, ah, I like this series. I like it. <laughs> so can't wait. Maybe one huge decision I might do differently is the ending. I've always destroyed the Reapers, which I always feel terrible about because it destroys the Geth too. And this time, I don't know, stuff like that might be too high of a cost, but I don't trust the elusive man I can't control. So maybe I'll do that middle ending where you can like synthesize. That might be something I think about. I was going to say, I've always done synthesize because I just felt like after what everything you learned about Legion, you didn't want to control him. You didn't want to destroy him. So maybe there's a way to synthesize. So I've, I've always gone that option and I'll, I'll probably do that again this time around. I don't see myself going renegade. That's for sure. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I got to know though, Matt, um, obviously I've played Andromeda with currently playing through the, the trilogy of Mass Effect. Do you have any plans to go play Andromeda when you wrap this up? Yeah, I own it. I've had it for a long time. Um, I'm definitely going to play it. I thought about playing it before this in the lead up, but I just didn't end up having the time. So kind of while waiting for the future of the series, I'm definitely going to try it out. I've heard you, people like you say great things. I know there's a lot of people that really like the game. And I've also heard like people that really hate it and just really bad things. So I really don't care either way. I am just really excited to play a different Mass Effect story. So whether or not I like it, we'll see. But I'm excited to try it out. I must just have a shitty memory because while I'm playing through the tr this trilogy now, I'm thinking like, I got to go back to Andromeda too because I can't remember a bunch from that one either. So I think when I get done here, I will also uh, be playing Andromeda too. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of already brought it up a little bit, but before we close out, we should probably talk about it because all we know is Mass Effect will continue in some way. There was originally going to be Andromeda sequels, but after I think just the reception and sales of the first game, they abandoned that, which is a shame for that team and all that. But it did clearly lead to a more direct sequel, which we know is coming eventually. We got that teaser trailer where there was a cloaked figure climbing a mountain and then uncovering a piece of N7 armor. Hood blows off and it appears to be Liara with, you know, a familiar ship in the background. So what are your thoughts? I mean, what would you want for a bit more traditional sequel to this franchise? I mean, because of the choices, I don't know if Shepard would play a role at all. That don't, I don't think that would make any sense, even if you got the ending where he survives. So what do you think? What, what are we expecting for this future of the series? Yeah, I really thought when they announced Legendary Edition and another Mass Effect game hand in hand, I really thought they were going to take that opportunity to go back and kind of finalize the ending of the Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, obviously, they didn't. Uh, that was my theory. That was wrong, of course. So I don't know what to expect. I don't want to go to a different galaxy. I want the story to continue in the Milky Way galaxy. I want to see the effects of whatever choice you make at the end of three. I think there's going to have to be a way to import your save from the original trilogy. That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. So I, I don't know what they do from here, especially with all the different options. Because I got to imagine if you destroy everything, like that's going to be a totally different story than if you control or synthesize. So yeah, I just think you have to continue the Milky Way story, how that looks. I don't, I don't necessarily need Shepard to be back. I guess that also would depend on your choices in three as well. Um, it would be cool to see like Liara back because the Asari lived for so long. That's what it seems like, yeah. Maybe see what happens with the Krogan genophage, especially depending on what you do with Morden. So I think there's a lot of things that they can still continue just depending on how you played in three. Yeah, my only concern would be they, they, that they don't do the import save option. So it's just a very kind of general 
continuation, if that makes sense. Like, it seems like Liara's back from that trailer, so maybe, like, she's in it, and that's really the only kind of continuing thing, because, again, like you said, the Asari lived so long. Maybe this story is years and years and years later, which would be cool, because I love Liara, but at the same time, the whole kind of exciting factor of not doing an Andromeda sequel and doing a direct sequel is like you want it to feel connected in a big way. So my hope is, and my current theory is, the only way you can import is if you have like a complete legendary edition, maybe like next-gen console version or something, like a save for that. Maybe then they'll like transfer over and it'll connect in some way. So I have no idea what to expect, but I know I want to see some familiar places and some familiar faces. What do you think, though, with E3 being next month, do you think we're going to get some future Mass Effect gameplay or footage? I hope so. I mean, it feels kind of like appropriate timing. And again, maybe with the return of E3, it just feels kind of right. We just got Legendary Edition. So maybe even just putting out another trailer. I don't know if we get gameplay. Who knows when the game will come out? But um, it would cool. It would be cool just to get like a release date or like a window, like a year even. Just anything like that would be super exciting. So I hope I hope we hear something at E3 for sure. I also hope in the next Mass Effect that they do carry over the combat and uh, vehicular stuff from Andromeda because it is it is really great. Regardless of what you think about the story, the gameplay and uh, vehicle stuff is the most fun it's been in Mass Effect, I think, in Andromeda. Yeah, I have to imagine because they probably have a similar team that worked on Andromeda. Maybe a lot of the same people are working on the new Mass Effect. So I I would think that they're smart enough to, despite how that game did, they'll take what worked from it. And you've always told me the combat and the vehicle stuff is actually really great. So let's hope that that is some of what they carry over. Anything else besides Mass Effect that you're excited for at E3 next month? I don't know. I feel like I'm always bad at predicting E3 just because games are so typically coming out so far apart from each other when it comes to sequels and stuff like that, that I can't even remember what we could possibly see. And I don't think Sony's going to be there. So they're just probably going to keep doing their state of plays where they show I off. I forgot. I forgot Sony won't be there. Yeah. So we probably won't get any God of War news or anything like that until they do another state of play announcement. So we'll see. But with everybody else being there, Microsoft, they obviously have Bethesda now. So I would expect to find out about Starfield, which is their exclusive, um, basically Fallout, Elder Scrolls-style story in space. So that kind of ties into Mass Effect as well. So I'd like to see more from that. That's probably the biggest thing. I'm sure I'm missing something. I mean, what about you? Maybe you'll kind of spark some ideas. Yeah, I'd love to see some more Horizon stuff. Obviously, they just released some new gameplay footage this week that we're recording. uh, So I'm not sure how much more we'll actually get at E3. Um, I'd be really interested to see if we learn any more about that Ubisoft Star Wars game. And same with your note on Bethesda, I want to know the future of Elder Scrolls as well. So yeah, and then also uh, back to Ubisoft, I'm curious if they're going to concretely release anything about the next Assassin's Creed game, uh, because all we have right now are rumors. Ubisoft, I'm always, I don't know, I'm always curious, I guess I should say, to see what they announce or put out, because I do play a lot of Ubisoft games. So yeah, anything about the new Assassin's Creed, anything about... Far Cry 6, even though I'm not sure I'm going to get Far Cry 6. I'm kind of burnt out on that series, but they always do good trailers and demonstrations, so I'll definitely be tuning into that panel. All right, and I guess that's a perfect little tease, Matt, because next month will be a full E3 episode. It's just going to be an entire uh, episode of news, so be sure to check back in next month for Co-op Couch as we break down everything E3, and I think that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If this is your first episode, this is, of course, just a little sideshow that Matt and I put together. 
Our main episodes come out every Tuesday, and we typically discuss movies and TV. Our most recent episode covered Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, so be sure to check that out if you want to hear our thoughts on that movie. And we will be back next Tuesday for a very special one-year anniversary celebration of the Arnie's. At the Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website, so be sure to check us out there. And uh, Matt, I guess I'll throw it over to you to close us out. I think you nailed it. You covered everything. I can't wait for next month. E3 is always an exciting time. going to get tons of trailers, which I always love watching, so can't wait to break everything down. And then, yeah, other than that, we have tons of great episodes coming out. Like Austin mentioned, the year celebration will be a fun one. We have some surprises planned that I think you guys will enjoy, so look forward to that. And honestly, beyond that, some more exciting stuff that we'll announce as it gets closer. I guess one thing that is on the horizon is Loki, so we will be reviewing each and every episode of that when they drop. And since they come out on Wednesdays, you can expect our reviews to come out every Friday once the show premieres. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Player 2 Disconnected.